it's a privilege. I, I love to go and pray with babies uh, at the hospital. That's, that's my favorite thing. I, I'd much rather go pray with new babies than, than probably almost anything else that I do. And, you know, it reminds me of, you know, our, our little ones when, when they were born. Now, now they're not little ones anymore, and, and they're almost all grown up. But just that, those infants, those babies. Remember holding those babies, and, and, and you know, the, the, they're the center of attention, <laughs> I mean, babies, if somebody brings a baby in this church, I might as well just stop preaching because you all like want to look at the baby, right? Babies become the center of attention. They're the center of attention in our homes. You know, we, we, we baby them, <laughs> which makes sense because they're babies. But, you know, they're just like the center of everything and center of attention. It's all about them. <laughs> and uh, they begin their life like that. But the truth is, we don't want our babies to remain babies, right? <laughs> As our babies grow up and become teenagers and adults, uh, the, the hope is that our children do not grow up and become babies, uh, but they grow up into something better than having to be and needing to be the center of attention, needing to have everything revolve around them. And so one of the roles of a family is that we shape our kids, we shape our babies, we shape our children into grown-ups, mature people, where, where all of life does not revolve around them, and they're able to give and not just receive. Now, now earlier in this series, we talked about the church as family, Right? Right? Just because the lights are down do not, does not mean you can go to sleep on me, okay? We talked about church as family. And, and so the church serves in that function. You don't have to bring them up, Brian. It's okay. They, they, they can, we're, we're okay. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just concerned. You know, nudge your neighbor. Make sure they're awake. You know, there isn't anything funnier, though, from a pastor's perspective than to watch you folks fall asleep, okay? You know, that, that, you know watch those heads go back and you, know, you pop. It's kind of a fun thing to observe. So ne never feel bad about it. It gives me some joy. <laughs> but the church is family, and one of the functions of a church is to shape us, is to grow us. As a family shapes children into generosity and love and not selfish human beings, the church is meant to shape us into something better, train us and maturing us into something more. We, we need each other to shape us. Because in the church, and I believe even in the family, it forces us out of our comfort zones. Where, where it's all about me, and it forces us out into areas of serving and giving and going and doing, which probably wouldn't do on our own. And so that's the importance of this series, this Ecclesia series. I, I truly believe that, that we have been so focused on personal transformational crisis moments that the, we've missed the significant transforming power of the church. And in fact, in our day, in a lot of ways, the church is under attack, right? You understand that. Right? And I don't say that, you know, I'm not trying to start cultural wars, or, you know, we're not getting into that. But even among the church people, oftentimes we see church as something that's a side note and not essential. 
The church is God's ideal for His people. <laughs> the, the, the church was not man-made, but it's God-ordained, and it's God-ordained because it's His principal method of shaping His people into mature believers. The church is God's instrument to allow us to escape meism and live for something greater. And we cannot do that independent of the church body. Um, can, can you be Christian and not be in a church? I think it's kind of hard. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not the one that stands, you won't stand before me in heaven, but, but I think it's very difficult to make it in without a church around you, without you being submitted and committed to a church and allowing it to shape you. See, the God, God uses the church to move us towards maturity. That's one of the things. And, and, and Ephesians, over and over, Paul talks about the church, the ecclesia, being in Christ, moving us towards maturity. That, that is the goal for, God, for you from God. That, that's God's goal for me, is that I move towards greater and greater maturity. And as I age, I, I don't become more like a baby, but I become more like Jesus. Amen. And the church creates that within his people. Now, consumerism has an effect on the church. <laughs> we understand that. We, we live in a consumeristic society. Um, Turkey Hill. I, I'll, I'll call them out. I loved Turkey Hill when I moved up here. It, it was associated with Kroger. And, and you could go in and they would have, they didn't have the whole Kroger store, but they had a few things and it was reasonably priced and you could go in and you could find things and pay a reasonable price. It was a nice little store. The last five years it's changed five or six times. And now you go in if you want to buy a jar of mayonnaise for $6, if they have it, you can. And the truth is, Man, can I get sued for this? I don't think so. The truth is, every time I go into a place that I once liked, I grow more and more frustrated so that now I drive all the way to Kroger even to get my gas. That's called consumerism, okay? And, and that has a place in the world. I, you know, you know we're not, I'm not being shaped by Turkey Hill. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You're not, you're not being shaped by the insurance carrier you provide, that, that you choose. You're not being shaped by the bank you bank at. You know, there, there's services, there's restaurants you go to, and I think we need to be Christian in these places, but, but, but it's okay to have an attitude that this, this is really not what I'm looking for and I'm going to go somewhere else. But that attitude sometimes affects the church. And what happens is that we begin to get frustrated in the church. The church may change. There, there becomes personality conflicts in the church. I know that's never happened here, right? It's not meeting my needs. And consumerism moves us just to a different location. Francis Chan has a, a book out called Letters to the Church, which is a I love and hate him for the book, i got to tell you. It, it's, a, it's a shaking book on the state of the church and, and the state of ministry, who we are as pastors and, and, and how we serve 
and it, it's a challenging book. But, but it's either in this book or at some other place that um, Francis Chan left his, he was a mega church pastor, and he left the mega church pastor, and, and he just went to China for a while, and he was ministering in these, these house churches in, in China. And, and in the midst of this ministry, um, one of the Chinese Christians asked him what the state of the American church is. And Francis Chan says, well, so we, we, we gather in air-conditioned, nice rooms, and, 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 I'll, and I'll preach, and we'll sing, and people will stay there unless somebody preaches better, or they no longer like my preaching, or they no longer like the music, or the music's better here, and then they'll go to another church. And Chan said, they just started laughing, because they thought he was kidding. He said, no, 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 that, that is the state of the American church in a lot of places, in a lot of ways. And one of them picked up his Bible and pointed to it and said, can you show me in here where that's right? <laughs> See, we live in an age where consumerism has affected the church. And I'm not saying that you never leave a church. You know, I'm new here, right? Right? You know, from time to time, God moves people from another church and He moves them. But not simply because we're uncomfortable. And not simply because of perhaps personality conflicts, but it's the call of God. See, God uses uncomfortable to shape us. And the church is meant to be this place that shapes us. And what happens is oftentimes we leave when it becomes uncomfortable and it becomes less about God and more about me. And God use, loses the ability to shape us more into the image of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of uncomfortable. That's quiet. I'd venture to guess that most of you would agree with me on this, that you've been shaped more in uncomfortable circumstances than easy. Or at least the better, to the better. And last week we talked about service. And we're continuing the same passage from Ephesians. And we're going to continue to talk about service, but another side of service. Because I believe service moves us from comfortable to uncomfortable. That, that if we really serve and allow God to call us into service, it's not always easy. It's not always convenient. It's not always what I want to do. Last, last um, Saturday... Our fall fun fest was during a football game of some team in Columbus, right? Uh, it, it was during Ohio State, Wisconsin. We had fall fun fest, and I was done at noon, and I could have went home at noon, but I had some hospital visitation to do, and so I left here and went to some hospitals, and I had to, well, I actually didn't watch it because I knew the score. Now, I'm not like Harold Green. Harold Green doesn't watch the games because they make him too nervous, and then he watches them after he knows they win, which is a, a good way to do it. Right, Harold? <laughs> he don't even watch it. He's still too nervous. 
that's uncomfortable. That, you know, it's, that's not about what I wanted to do. And, and so oftentimes in service, it'll take us from what we want to do to what God's calling us to do. And in that willingness, that faithfulness to say, not my will, but your will, God, we begin to be shaped and changed into the image of Jesus Christ. And we actually model Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, not my will, but your will. And in that, we demonstrate the love of God. So Ephesians 4, 11-16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might, may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, now, I was drawn to this passage for this series for, because of verses 11 and 12. I, I, I've, been, I've been wrestling with these passages for, for probably well over a year, maybe longer than that, as I've tried to understand my role. And there's phrases in that little section of Scripture that stand out. His people is what my translation says. But, but it really means saints or holy ones. That is the literal translations. Saints or holy ones. And that's you. You are, look at your neighbor, Tom, you're a saint. All right? Don't say you're a Saint Bernard. And I have a role. I have a role. I, I am pastor, and I am called to be your pastor. You know, I embrace that role. I understand that role. I am called. I believe God has called me. And he's called me to pastor. I love that word pastor. When I went to Trenton, before I went there, uh, some of the people from Trenton were talking to people from Tri-County and said, well, what should we call him? And they said, well, you call him Pastor Paul. You can call me Paul, too. I'm okay by that, right? They call him Pastor Paul. Oh, no, we're going to call him Reverend Mills. And they said, no, you won't call him Reverend Mills. There was a Reverend Case here. But Pastor Paul just flows, right? It almost rhymes doesn't rhyme, does it? <laughs> uh, starts the same letter. And if you can't laugh at me, what are you going to laugh at? But I'm called to be your pastor. And I will stand, I will stand accountable before God for what I do as pastor. I am deeply, fundamentally aware of that. And my role as pastor is not to do everything. As a matter of fact, if, if I try and think that my role is to do everything, I'm missing the whole point of why God has called me. And I'm missing the ability, or not misusing the ability to activate you, the holy ones, the saints, to be the people that God has called you to be. I am called to activate the church. Because you are the real power in the church.
If this place is going to be effective, it'll be based not on me, but on the Holy Spirit working through you. And so one of the primary jobs of a pastor is equipping the holy ones, the saints, for service. So I thought about that this morning. I, 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 I thought about it in this way. Think, think about when you walk into a room. Okay, when, when you walk into a room, if, if somebody's turned the lights out and it's dark, what do you do? You go to a light switch and you flip the white light switch. And poof, the lights come on. But what's happened when you hit that light switch? And, and, and I'm not an engineer or a scientist, but, but I think this is what happens. When you hit that light switch, it causes electricity to run from that wire into a bulb, and that bulb's got some wiring in it, and the, the electricity runs through that wire, and, and it illuminates, it, it sets off a, a filament of some type, and that filament emits what I think is called photons. Photons, am I right? You guys don't know, right? And, and these photons emit little bursts of light. See, so you allow electricity when you hit the switch to flow through the light bulb. And it's not that you're causing the light to shine. Sorry. It's not that you're causing the light to shine, but instead the electricity is causing the light to shine. And so what happens as a pastor is I'm equipping you to be the light. I'm turning on a switch which allows the spirit to flow through you and allows you to shine. And we shine through service. Now, now, service is this, this Greek word that we get deacon from. And, and when I first thought about that, I thought, well, that's great. That, that's just like that song, you can't be a deacon if your light don't shine, right? Uh, that's not the word, is it? It's beacon. <laughs> but, but deacon makes sense. You can't be a deacon if your light don't shine. <laughs> it means ministry or service. And last week, we, we began our conversation uh, surrounding this ideal of, of service. Now, as we think about this concept, th think about this. When I interviewed to be pastor here, one of the things Jeff Kunselman asked me to, 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 for the board's purposes was uh, there, there's a lot of pastors that will use this kind of phraseology. I, I, don't, I didn't come to pastor this church. I came to pastor this community. Um, and, and that's a great ideal, a great thought. I'm not rejecting you know, what God's called them to do or how they feel they're called to minister. And I said, no, I don't feel that. What, what I feel is I've called to pastor this church and this church be the church for this community. That's, that's what I believe I'm called to do. I'm called to equip a church to love their neighbors. <laughs> see, see, that's the significance of love you see. And loving your neighbor as yourself in that I'm not, I'm not in every neighborhood, but you're in neighborhoods all over this community. And, and if I could somehow, and so many of you are doing this, equip you, encourage you, act 
activate you so, so that you are the light of this church in your neighborhood, then this role expands beyond me and it becomes you. See, what, what, what happens oftentimes in the church is the pastors or the leaders become the center of what the church does. And I don't believe that's the case here. But, but when that happens, the power of the church is limited because the pastor and the leaders are limited. At the worst, those kind of churches become cult of personalities. And all of us have seen that in the church, where it's all about my way or the highway, and we don't want that here. We want you to be activated, active in the mission of the church. So we shine through service. And, and so we, we talked about this last week, and you know we're not going to spend a lot of time, but just three things. That, that I want you to see about service. Everyone can, and probably that's the wrong word, everyone should serve. That, that, that everyone has the capacity, the ability, the opportunity, and, and there should be a place of service where you are serving God outside even your comfort zones. Now, now to me, I believe that this service applies here and applies outside this, these walls. I, I, I believe God has called us to serve our body, the church, and I believe God has called us to serve in our community. And, and so I, I believe one of the things we should look at is, is there a place that I'm routinely serving in the church? Is there a place where I'm routinely serving outside the church? Service creates maturity. In other words, leaving our comfort zone and, and serving in a role allows God to shape us more into the image of Jesus Christ, which is the goal of my life, goal of your life, right? I'll be more like Jesus. And, and what I have found in my life and what I believe the Bible demonstrates is that when we're willing to serve in that way, God is faithful and true, and he will, he will mature your faith, he will grow your faith. Thirdly, when we all do our part, the body is healthy. In other words, when we serve in this place, all of us benefit by being part of a healthy body. That, that, that this isn't the draw, this isn't the main reason, but, but oftentimes we, we miss out on the joy of being part of a healthy church when we fail to serve in the way God has called us to serve. Everyone in this room you have a particular role in this body that, that God has uniquely equipped and enabled you that, that, that when you function in that role, it creates health for everyone. This morning, though, we're going to do part two. Uh, last week was about my time and my gifts, my abilities. Today's, we're going to talk about our money. See, giving is service. Giving is service. You know, I, I did some research on this word service, and, and it was an interesting thing. I, I found this word in multiple places in the Bible, but the other place that was significant that I found it was in 2 Corinthians 9. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is talking about giving. He's talking about financial giving, giving of money. And Paul uses the exact same phrase that giving is a work of service. 
And what that means as, as a pastor, if I'm, going to, if I'm going to equip you to service, I am not doing my job as a pastor if I, do not, if I refuse to talk about giving. If I will not talk to you about tithing, I'm allowing you, I'm not giving you the tools to fully mature into the believer that God's called you to be. Giving matters. As a matter of fact, I believe I've heard, and I may be incorrect, but I believe Jesus talks about giving more than anything else, more than almost anything else in the Gospels. See, if we're not giving... We're missing what God wants for us. Um, the same things that are true about giving, about service, is true about giving. When we talk about giving, we're talking about limited resources. Anybody have unlimited financial resources? Raise your hand. I really, seriously, I need to, okay, I didn't think so. You know, we're dealing with limited resources. The, the, the temptation with our time and our energy is to use that time and energy for ourselves. The temptation with our money is just to use our money for ourselves. Um, but we'd be missing out. We settle for less when we fail to give. Culturally, we understand this. If I were to say to you that it's better to give than to receive, almost everybody in this room would say, yeah, that's right. If I were to say to you, you know, to, to, to live unselfishly is an awesome way to live, you'd say, yeah, yeah, that's right. We, we celebrate those who give in, in special ways. You know, when, when somebody that's wealthy uh, does something beneficial to others, we celebrate that and we applaud them and, and we're glad for that and we think it's a good thing. You know, what happened to the Christmas music in November? Didn't they start playing Christmas music in November before? Anybody know? I mean, we're getting closer to Christmas. I've turned to 93.3 and it's not Christmas music. Uh, but, but we're getting closer to Christmas. And, and so the, 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 the Christmas movie that's got probably 10 million versions of it is a Christmas story. Um, not a Christmas story, a Christmas carol. <laughs> There's only one Christmas story. But A Christmas Carol, which is Charles Dickens' classic work with Ebenezer Scrooge. And what's the point of that story? Ebenezer Scrooge was a rotten, awful person when it was all about him. But, but when he had that transformation and he became this generous person when he was willing to give, he was a better person. And so I think we all understand that, that this ability to give is a good thing. And so this morning we're going to talk about the habit of tithing. It's tithing. If you don't know what tithing is, tithing is, it's, it's a habit. It's a weekly thing or a monthly thing or a regular thing, however you give. But, but it's 10% of my earnings. Right? And, 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 and it's a gift to the church to use just so the church can function. As a denomination, we affirm what in the manual they call it storehouse giving. Storehouse tithing. Tithing, <laughs> and, and, and as I thought about this and I prepared for this, what I realized is maybe not all of you know this, tithing is our only source of income in our church. <laughs> we have, as a church, we have no endowments. You know, there's not regular money coming from a, a bank account or an endowment. We have... No hidden stores of cash. 
You know, Harold doesn't have it buried in his backyard. I believe we maintain, and Harold, correct me if I'm wrong, about we have about two months of, of operating expenses in savings. About two months of operating expenses. So, so we operate by faith. We don't operate any businesses. As a matter of fact, one of the things your church board did was we, we were renting out the building and it was getting more and more complicated in the renting out of the building and we decided, hey, we're not going to become a wedding venue. We're not going to become a venue for everybody that wants to rent a space. We will give out the building. We'll make it a ministry in our community. We'll, pay people, we'll have people pay for cleaning. But other than that, this is not going to be a business opportunity to use our building. We don't get any assistance from the government. Believe it or not, the government does not give us any money. We don't write for any grants. Your building, your pastors, your ministries are fully supported by your generosity. And you are generous. There are so many of you who give. And I got to tell you, probably the majority of our people are givers. And I want you to know, as a pastor, I appreciate not your faithfulness to me, but your faithfulness to God in giving. So the habit of tithing, it's, 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 um, it's faith-based. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, that, that we're relying on you giving week to week. You know, we believe in offerings. We, we, we don't pass a plate. That doesn't mean we don't believe in offerings. We, we believe in offerings on their back wall. We have offering boxes where you can drop your tithes and offering. We, we have people that give online. On the, on the back wall, there's a ways to give card. If you're curious about ways to give, we, we can give online. You can send checks. You, you, you can put them in the boxes. There's all sorts of ways that people give. We believe in giving. Uh, we believe that God uses these gifts to forward this ministry. And in your giving, we are accountable to you. Um, it doesn't just go in and there's no accountability back to the people. That's why I love about being part of a denomination that has certain set rules and ways of doing things. We have to report every year to our district what we've brought in and how we've spent it. Every month, your treasurer, Harold, will provide a monthly statement that'll show what has been brought in and how it's been spent. So, see, we're accountable. Those in leadership are accountable to you. We rely on you. We're dependent on you for these ministries to operate. We depend on you, but we are likewise accountable to you. We take extremely serious what you give. But, but tithing, tithing isn't paying dues. It's not paying a ticket. It's not a tax. It's not just some obligation. And, I, and I've said this before, and, and I believe this is from a, a book. I can't remember the author's title, author's name. Title, tithing is what God wants for me, not from me. In other words, it's not just, a, it's like service. Service leads to something better, and tithing leads to something better. Quickly, very three things I want you to see about tithing. Tithing builds my faith. 
It causes me to acknowledge God is giver of my income. And it shows God and it shows myself that God can be trusted. When I give back a portion of my tithe, when I give my 10% to God, then I'm acknowledging God, you are my keeper, my sustainer. You have given me what I have. It doesn't belong to me. I'm simply a steward. And in doing that, that builds my faith. So a pastor is tithing me in. No. See, see, tithing is a habit that builds the end, and the end is generosity. If somebody can tell me a better way to support the kingdom, to grow the kingdom, to support the ministry of the church, which we're all a part of, and at the same time build within me a spirit of generosity better than the habit of tithing, I'd love to know what it is. seriously come tell me what what would be a better way to do this God sustains his kingdom he grows his kingdom through all of us sharing equally and at the same time he builds within us into our character a character of generosity I thought you guys get more excited about that than, than I know we're talking about money it's hard to get excited about money right you can say amen there, okay? Let's, let's get all the stored up amens out. Tithing is a worship response. See, see, giving is always a response to God's generosity. And, and, and you've heard this phrase, and, and i got to tell you, it's true. You cannot outgive God. Can I just, personal testimony, there, there's times in my life where it didn't make sense to tithe. And God has always been faithful and true. Has it been because I tithe? I, I, I don't have anything else to go on. <laughs> About two years ago, Terry lost her job. Was going to lose her job. You know, we were a little stressed. She makes a pretty good income. Prides the insurance. Do you know Terry's job at Cardinal that she got started the day she was terminated from the other place permanently? Don't tell me that's not God. Now we just found out that Cardinal's going to probably eliminate all their accounting positions. I'm thankful for the experience two years ago. Because that experience two years ago reminds me that whatever God has in mind in about a year or so for Terry, God will take care of us. And we will continue to tithe. It's a faith response. It's a worship response. We acknowledge everything belongs to God and we're just giving back a portion because He's worthy of our praise. Tithing builds the body. When we serve, the body becomes healthy, which is to our benefit. When we give, the body remains healthy, and it's to our benefit. So, a pastor, I can't give 10%. I, I just can't do it. You can look at my budget. There's no way I can do it. I'd say this, be prayerful, 
Be prayerful. Talk to other people. I guarantee you that there's probably two dozen or more saints, holy ones in this place that have faced those kind of times and they tithe and God sustained them. And if you have to take baby steps, take baby steps. Uh, I'm a a big believer in baby steps. Uh, That that, that sometimes it's just a matter of, okay, well, God, I I can't give 10%, but I'm going to give a 1%. And and God, you're going to have to to show me, and you're going to have to build my faith. Now, the goal is not just to get to 1%. The goal is not just to get to 10%. The goal is to get to generosity where everything belongs to Him and, and God knows you have to live, but you're willing to give and support the church and you're willing to give and support others and you're just generous. And so I'm, I think it's okay to take baby steps and allow God to, to use those baby steps to build your faith. In that same chapter, in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says this. Remember this. Whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He's talking about money here, folks, and giving money. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As your pastor, I do not preach a prosperity gospel. Nobody mishear me that that pastor said, hey, if we tithe, then we better play the lottery because we're going to win it, right? I have not said that. But I believe this. God is able to bless us when we freely give our resources to Him. And when we withhold from God, God is not able to bless us like He'd like. We'll close with a story. It's in the book of Haggai. I mean, you've been reading Haggai this week. Yeah, it's a cool name. It's in the book of Haggai. And the, the prophet's writing to the people and, and he's talking about how they've withheld, in essence, their giving to the, to the temple. And he's saying, you're, you're, you're living in these paneled houses. You're, you're living with all you need. And, and God's house stands in disarray. And in the meantime, all these things that are, you've accumulated, and these are my words, not exactly word for word, all these things you've accumulated, they have no significance, no meaning, and no value to you. And the truth is, we live in that age, don't we? Where people have a lot, and yet a lot is never enough.